Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Be seated, please. Setting the stage for Christmas. That's what we've been doing, and that's what we're doing again today. We've been looking at people. We've been looking at events, all of which preceded the birth of Jesus. Traditionally, in our life together as church, here and beyond, it's a little different approach during Advent. A lot of places, Christians focus on the end of the world, not just when Jesus first came and as he's coming, but on how he'll come again at the end. And traditionally, too, the focus of Advent then shifts to John the Baptist as he prepared the way for Jesus. The adult John the Baptist and the adult Jesus who was already there, who was about, by the way, 30 years old, as Luke chapter 3 tells us in verse 23. Well, our approach is a little bit different because with you I'm backing up into history I'm backing up and looking at the people and the events as Matthew and Luke record them chronologically. The things that happened just before Jesus was born. And so far, our focus has been on two couples. Two, we've started anyway, with on the right, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, a priest serving the Lord in his temple, who was confronted by an angel and said, you and your aged wife who can't have children, you're going to have a child. He's going to be great. He's going to play a very important role in this drama of salvation. Zechariah couldn't take it in. He couldn't believe it. And so he was struck mute, couldn't speak. And he sat, he functioned silently. But when... John, who would be known as John the Baptist, was conceived. He believed, and he spoke. And it was Elizabeth who also we focused on as the mother of John the Baptist. How she rejoiced, even from the very beginning, that she should be the mother of such a famous person, one whom Jesus said was the most famous besides himself in all of human history. She believed and she acknowledged even that one greater still was to be born of a kinsperson, Mary. Believing and rejoicing. That's what we remember about Elizabeth. But now it's time to set the stage with beginning with that other couple, Mary and Joseph. Well, and let's focus today on Joseph. I say that because you just heard read from Matthew's Gospel the story, the account, the record, primarily from Matthew's viewpoint as he focused on that man by the name of Joseph. Matthew doesn't tell us a great deal about the man, but what he does say, that's important. He said he was a good man. Joseph was a good man. He was godly. It all added up by the one word that Matthew did write and use, and that was righteous. Joseph was righteous. In other words, he was in a right relationship with God. 
He was a godly man. He loved Mary as a result. Mary to whom he was engaged. Mary, his wife-to-be. And in those days, being engaged was a big deal. It was a public event to which family and people assembled to hear the vows, to hear the intent of what those two were about soon to do, and that was to get married. And with those words of engagement promises, they were legally, according to the law, they were married, even though the second part had not yet taken place when the marriage ceremony unfolded. So legally, they were husband and wife, even before the final ceremony of marriage. And it's right in between those two events that Joseph found himself, as Matthew records it. Mary was pregnant. And that wasn't necessarily good news for Joseph. It was surprising news. Matthew doesn't tell us a great deal about what Joseph did, what he said, or what he felt. He just turned to the reality, to what happened, that Joseph didn't want to bring disgrace to his betrothed, his engaged woman. Although legally they were husband and wife, he had the right and a righteous right to divorce her quietly because they had not yet been fully married. They had not yet been living together. And as best Joseph could tell, he knew it was not his child that Mary was pregnant with, but it must have been someone else's. And so it made sense to him, as well as the law, that he could not bring her to disgrace with public divorce, but because he loved her, he thought a quiet divorce would in fact be the appropriate thing to do. Talk about an upside-down Christmas. I guess we could refer to this circumstance of Joseph as just that, an impending upside-down Christmas. I saw a picture like this years and years ago for the very first time, and I thought, well, that's very interesting, someone hanging a Christmas tree upside-down hanging it from the rafters. And I read the article when I was in Canada at that time, and it was about a man who was spatially oriented. And he said, you know, I don't have enough room to set up a Christmas tree in the normal kind of way. It takes up too much floor space. So apparently, as a creative guy, he flipped it upside down, made it look like what you see in front of you, and he had the space that he desired. And I got thinking, you know what? That's pretty ingenious. But not only from a decorating standpoint, but you know, looking at it that way, the Christmas tree points to the bottom, to the gift, to the crash, to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But then there's also that other, still other, and that is upside down Christmas. Everything's topsy-turvy. Can we relate? Yeah, I think we can this coming Christmas is a bit upside down too, isn't it? With separation, with sickness, and with the inability among many of us for a variety of reasons to be able to get together with family and loved ones. Well, it wasn't COVID 
but it was these circumstances of Mary's pregnancy that made it an upside-down Christmas for Joseph. He must have been, well, who knows what. Whatever he thought about, he decided to go to bed. He decided to go to sleep. We don't know why. We don't know exactly what all was going on in his mind. Details, unimportant. He went to bed. He went to sleep. And then, then the intervention. Well, he was asleep. You know, it wasn't a matter of Joseph and Mary and their parents coming together for a heart-to-heart talk about what was and what was going to happen. They didn't call their rabbi into the family circle and say, what shall we do, rabbi? Counsel us. Direct us toward God's will. No, it was an angel. An angel who intervened while Joseph slept. You know about angels, don't you? I mean, we know that angels are messengers. And they're messengers of God. They deliver his message. No more, nothing less. God's word is what they bring. And you know when angels show up, don't you? It's when people are confused. It's when people don't understand. It's when God has to make it very clear what he is up to. Think about when angels have shown up in history, real briefly. It was the angel Gabriel who came to Mary to tell her what was going on with getting pregnant, just like the angel did here to to Joseph. It was an angel who directed the wise men not to go back to Herod the king who wanted to kill this upcoming king. It was an angel who directed Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt, to get out of town where Herod would want to kill the upcoming king. It was an angel who finally ministered to Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And guess who? It it was angels who announced Jesus risen from the dead. Special places, special times of getting the word straight, of helping people understand. That's what angels did. That's why the angel showed up in a dream to Joseph to explain this once in a lifetime, once in history event. Mary's pregnant, but not by you, but by God. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and marry this girl. Mary's unborn baby is not yours. It is from God himself. God is this baby's father. And then, and then just the note, Joseph woke up. He woke up. Well, physically his eyes opened, the dream was done, the message was given, time to move on. But I think there's more to those simple two words, he woke up, woke up. I think he also woke up spiritually. At another level, Joseph woke up. The light went on as the angel, God, told him what was going on and what to do. What about you? Have you woken up? I don't just mean have you opened your eyes to get here this morning. It certainly helps when you're driving, when you're walking, when you're finding your seat. But have you awakened to God? Are you spiritually awake to what God is up to in your life? 
Are you awake to what God wants to do and what he wants of you here and now? Over time, as I've talked with many Christians along the way, some have told me on various occasions, God told me to do this, or God told me to do that. And I remember getting nervous, like many of you perhaps get nervous when somebody talks like that. But what I've learned is to just hold my tongue and to say, well, well, just what do you mean by that? God told me to do this or not to do that. It's a good thing to ask, to understand. A few will have talked with me about having had a dream, maybe like Joseph's, or some even an audible voice that they've detected of God's voice. You know, I've asked and I've concluded, who am I? Who am I to say God didn't communicate with you that way? Who's to say that what you say is mistaken? We've got to be careful with this. We have to be very careful. You can't count on God directly communicating with us. But can we say that God doesn't? Can we say that God can't do that? He's certainly able, and he certainly has done it. Look at the Bible. It's full of, full of accounts of when God directly spoke with his people, communicated them by dream, by voice, by whatever, even in person in Old Testament days. But the Bible doesn't say that he has stopped doing that. We can't count on it, but we can't eliminate it either. God certainly, and catch this, he certainly communicated most fully and most clearly in Jesus. Absolutely. The word who became flesh, as John put it in his gospel. The word, the message of God in human form. How much clearer could God be than that? But another level of communication about other things in life. Not about doctrine, not about teaching, but about, should I marry that person? Or shall I take this job? Or what do you want me to do, dear God, in this circumstance? You may not be able to find the answer in the Bible directly to that. There's some very direct directives there. But God has, he does communicate. For me, I call it sometimes a nudge or a notion. And I've learned by experience. I remember a number of times, and even maybe the first, when I had this nudge to go visit somebody as their pastor. Uh, I'll get to it. Well, when I finally got to it, it was too late. And from that point on, I started listening to those nudges and those notions, to, to feeling them and to, to follow them. And do you know what I found? That it was God's direction. When I was nudged to go see somebody, it was important that I be there. It proved to be true, and I attributed it to God himself. I believe that is how God continues to work, to pay attention, to listen, to watch. I've seen what happens when I do, and I've seen what happened when I don't pay attention. You may not be able to count on that, but if God communicates that way, listen. The point for Joseph is that he woke up 
physically and spiritually. He woke up, Joseph did, and he did what he was told. The point for you and for me is that we do the same, that we listen and that we ultimately follow, that is, we obey. Maybe we wish we knew more about what all happened with Joseph, but Matthew tells us what we need to know. And by the way, that's what we got to focus on when we read the Bible. What it tells us is the point. What it doesn't tell us, maybe our mind wants to go there. But that's ultimately unimportant because if it were important, God would have told us. That's what it's all about. What the Bible does say, what God says does matter. And as the Bible tells the story of Matthew, you know what? We don't have one word that Joseph spoke. Not one word, not one sentence that Joseph spoke recorded in Matthew or in Luke or anywhere else in the Bible. A man of few words, maybe even of no words, at least from our perspective. But what we do have is this. We have a record of what he did. What he did. You know how we say actions speak louder than words? They do. They do. They do for Joseph. You know, in what Jesus said, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The doing is what counts. We can say whatever we want to say, but to do, that's what God looks for. That's what God ultimately wants, obedience. Sometimes... Second, sometimes it's best not to say anything. Sometimes nothing needs to be said. I don't have a list. I can't tell you every circumstance when to and when not to speak. The Bible on occasion will tell us in such circumstances what to do, what to say, and what not. We're just told one thing about Joseph here, and that is that he considered all of these things. He considered them. In other words, he thought and he listened. My mom pointed that out to me a long time ago. Maybe one of your parents as well. You know what, what they said? They say, hey, remember why God gave you two ears and one mouth? Did you hear that? Once or again? Because we're supposed to listen twice as much as what we speak. I think, although that doesn't come from God, it certainly is good advice as we look and live in faith. How do we listen? Tune out and tune in. Tune out to those voices that are around us. So many of them. There are many, many voices around us, and they're not all godly. They don't all speak the truth. Think about this. We are barraged with messages moment by moment every single day by what things are spoken, by examples that are before us, by things that are written, argued, or depicted in movies, in magazines, in books. Voices from people who don't know what they're talking about. Voices, advice, and directions from people like celebrities, the Hollyweirds, and others. Even co-workers, neighbors, politicians, people who don't believe in Jesus. They all have something to tell us and would try to influence us. These are the voices we need to tune out. To tune out, to recognize what they can and can't tell us. 
and where we need to be, to sift and to sort and discard. I can't believe everything. We can't. We need to know what to, who to listen to and not. To tune out and to tune in to God. There's what we can believe. He's the one that we can trust. He's given us the Word, the Bible. He's given us the Word about the Word, the Word made flesh, Jesus. That's why this Advent is so important to remember that that's how God communicated and still does through Jesus and the words about the Word, the Bible itself. To tune out, tune in, and then to test to test the message, to test what we hear, what we think, what we believe, to test to see that it comes from God. We've got the Bible, to be sure. God speaks there. It is the final authority. And any message that doesn't square with that, we can sift and sort and get rid of. But God also puts us in a position with other believers, doesn't he? He doesn't give us faith and set us out on an island, physical or otherwise. But he puts us in community. He makes us part of the body of Christ, connected to each other for a purpose, to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, but also to be able to talk to one another, to test, to tune out, to tune in to such things. Who better to sit down and pray with who better to sit down and talk things through, searching for the will of God so that we can do it? God gives us each other for that very purpose. We don't know what all Joseph said. We don't know who all he spoke with. There's a lot we don't know. But we do know what he did. What he did, he obeyed. And there is a legacy, don't you think? A legacy. For all that we don't know about Jesus, Joseph, we do know what he did. We don't know what he said. We do know that he listened, he looked, and he obeyed. What a legacy to live on from this man, this physical foster father, stepfather, legal father of Jesus. It speaks, and he speaks loudly without a word. What about you? What about me? What about our legacy? Some people are going to remember something we said, perhaps. But you know what they're for certain going to remember? What we did. How we followed or didn't follow our Lord and Savior. What we did for others. That's what counts for God. And may that be our legacy. I, I think of that when I saw for the first time about a year ago this little statuette of the, the holy couple, Mary, Joseph, along with baby Jesus. There's not a word there. We supply as we look. Well, we look at Joseph. Maybe this is a place where we can begin to think like we're led to think this morning. Not so much about what he said, but what he did. He listened, he learned, he sorted, he followed. What an example. A man of few words, not even knowing any of them, we can imitate him. We can imitate in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.